Hello, everyone, and welcome to A Person in 2020. I am one such person, Kelly Phelan. Today with me is Zach Harding. He asks open-ended questions on Facebook, and today I have a few open-ended questions for him. Zach, how are you doing? Good. How about you, pal? Doing great. Uh, it's been a while. Yeah. Yeah. Long time. Long time. It's uh, crazy how, you know, the, the one thing that tends to be good about Facebook is you actually can kind of keep up with everybody you know everybody you meet throughout your life i think that's one benefit there so glad i saw your post yeah it's a interesting presentation style that people can keep up with because people obviously use it for very different reasons i was trying to think of the last time that we saw each other and i think it was in my music room in my apartment at college and we were jamming out to like a bunch of people were in the room and we were singing i want it that way yeah yeah, it sounds right. That does sound right. Yep, 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 yep. Man, that feels like, it's so funny because that feels like not long ago, but then it feels like long ago at the same time. It's it's like a mixture of like, wow, I feel like I was just there. And then, man, so much has happened, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So, and uh, this year alone just really pretty much doubled the time it feels like since that point. Oh my God. Right. Right. Sometimes people are like, yeah, remember when that happened? I'm like, oh, that was like three months ago. I was like, that was two weeks ago. I was like, oh Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, time is uh, constrained greatly. So, yeah. um, so we, uh, we, we both use social media in pretty unique ways. I would say there is a certain lack of the, the personable factor. There's not like, we're not doing the selfies and the Starbucks check-ins and uh, things like that. So I wanted to ask you, how did you come to decide to use Facebook as a forum for having interesting conversations? Uh, well, you know, like I got an Instagram. I, I post some personal stuff on there. I've always kind of been like a little, not against social media on that aspect because but because i'm in marketing i do so much social media for companies that i don't have i don't feel like i have enough time to really do it for myself if anything i don't want to be on there right like i'm like i sit and i you know do marketing for a, a bunch of different companies and i spend a lot of time on social media because i help them develop their brand voice right so i have to sift through all that um i don't know if you allow swearing on this but bs uh in there and it's it, by the time I get home or by the time I'm kind of done with work, I, I don't really want to. So it's always been kind of one of those things where it's like, when I was first looking at Facebook and I first started using it, obviously I was younger. I think we can all go there where it was like much more kind of personal. And I think it's kind of flipped its head since then where um, I, I don't see, I, I do have some, some friends that still use it personal, mostly Instagram for personal stuff. But I always thought it felt kind of like, if I showed too much of the personal life, it felt like I was projecting a, a altered sense of reality. Cause you know, like you, you'll see some people where it always looks like they're traveling, but it's not that they always travel. They just disperse their pictures over time to make it look like they're constantly traveling and stuff like that. So I always kind of felt like Facebook would be like a bad way of representing myself in many ways. So I always looked at it as like, especially from a marketing standpoint, I have followed other marketers and the way that they've always used to this as a form of discussion. And I also look at it from the analytical sense of like, kind of, kind of naughty, but the more people that engage with my posts, when I do have something important to say, I can actually get into their newsfeed because that's how Facebook's algorithm works. 
So basically I pose a lot of questions. I do a lot of things to make sure that people engage with my content. So when there is something that I drastically want to say, it'll be more likely to appear in their newsfeed because they've engaged with my content. So that's why my content's not always very like, you know, I, I try, I do do politics in there because I, I'm passionate about it, but I do do a lot of just weird questions and that's just to get people to engage really. It's kind of a, maybe some people would consider that not the, not a fair <laughs> use of the Facebook algorithms, but I'm just trying to play by the rules, right? So that's kind of why I've turned it into more of like a funny questions mixed with politics, mixed with, you know, obviously a business style things is kind of just really trying to use their system correctly to breed conversation, you know? Um, but I can't say that I'm any, that I'm special in any way. You know, I think a bunch of people use it this way, including yourself. Sure. Uh, that's actually interesting. I didn't know necessarily that you were in marketing. So it's funny that I could be consider myself attentive to your post, but not really understand that full picture. I'm sure at some point you've posted or it's on your about info that you are in marketing. So it's interesting because I, I also get this sensation a lot that people are would consider themselves well-versed in what I post and then not know, like I just had someone on the podcast who said that they don't know my political affiliation. Mm -hmm. and, and I would think that that would be one of the first things you would probably discern from my post. So it's funny because it's it's weird the way people are digesting a lot of what they're seeing and, and the way they process it. So um, that is interesting. I didn't know that. And I wouldn't, no, have, thought it is. About, I wouldn't have thought about the, uh, the algorithm aspect of it, but that's cool. I mean, well, yeah, it's just one aspect, you know, cause you, you, I think of it as a way of kind of combating, not, not people, but like a lot of people post things to Facebook to get a reaction. Right. And usually that reaction is visceral. It's, it's anger or it's some kind of like, that makes me pissed off, right? And I don't necessarily wanna do that. I like informing people when things are kind of not going correctly in the country or even business, if there's like bad business practices or something, like I like informing, but I really like getting engagement on questions they wanna engage that make them laugh or make them think or make them want to, to do something that's kind of beyond political spectrum or anything like that. Because Facebook is built off of, like their algorithm is built off of anger, right? Because the more posts, most posts that get a ton of like reaction to it tend to be very like one-sided or they're very, they're meant to get reactions, right? Not good ones, just in general. And I think that that's a sickness that's kind of built into social media. And the way that I try to use it is to try to kind of reverse that sickness, use that algorithm that they've created for, rather than posting horrible stuff that gets reactions purposefully to post things that hopefully make people think and at least can get to my content where I'm not gonna, you know, send just some crazy, you know, QAnon conspiracy or something, or like try to try to envelop you into my cult. But hopefully using their tools, not against Facebook, but at least to use it for the correct way it was meant to, which was connecting people, you know? Yeah, definitely. That's not something I really anticipated when I kind of switched over from using it as a personal tool to a platform for sharing ideas. I never really thought that I would end up being some kind of bubble, like bubble figure, like someone who yeah. just, I mean, by this point, I don't really know too many people left that are, that would probably disagree with me on a lot of things that are reading my posts. And if they are, I mean, I wouldn't know because they're not interacting with it. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a, that's a consistent, I mean, 
I, but I think ha part of that though is that you're aware of it. There's a lot of people that actually believe that no one is disagreeing with them because no one actually disagrees with them, right? Like literally, um, <laughs> and they're in, they're in that bubble, right? But, right. but, but that's kind of what you're talking about. It's talking about what I'm talking about, which is like, no, I've used my feed purposefully to curate this. This is what Gen Z is really good at. When, when they talk about the social dilemma, what's on Netflix right now, they're talking about, yeah, you know what? We, we know what's going to get you to click this. We know what's going to get you to, to do this. We track everything we do. We get, how, we get how to touch your emotions and make you to react to things. But one of the things that they don't touch on a lot is that Gen Z is much more uh, like, they're harder to do this because they understand what a like means on Facebook or what it means on YouTube. They understand the rabbit hole that you can go down. They know how to look at both sides because they know that the algorithm they're using is curated content. So they're using it as curated content. They're aware that this is a bubble, but they like that bubble. They're like, I just want Rick and Morty content. I don't want cats and dogs, right? So they, they are much more aware of like, this isn't, isn't reality. This is my curation of what I like, right? And I think that to your point, it's like, yeah, we have kind of created a bubble. I created a bubble, but I'm aware of the bubble. I don't, I don't think Facebook is real in any fashion, right? So if I've made this thing and yeah, I don't uh, get too many disagreements on things, but I'm not really here to, to, to disagree. There's certain people that I'm not really here to have conversations. Like just recently, I lost a friend to like QAnon. Like he has literally just gone off the deep end and there's nothing that I, I've tried various tactics with him, but there's nothing I can do. There, I've just basically said like, I can't, I can't, I can't keep um, talking with you because it's only building this habit, right? So, um, you know, even though you've built your bubble, I don't think that's bad. I don't know if you'd agree with that. Like, I think you're aware of it, you know? So, I don't know. How do you feel about your bubble? <laughs> well, it's interesting because I don't get a lot of uh, comments. So, what I what I get is like a, a core group of people that are interested and then it's it's a core group in the specific things that I do because half of it is memes that I create <laughs> like that's how yep. I just my bathroom time I'm not scrolling I'm like going into Pixar yeah. and making Good a meme for you. and uh, and the, the meme is in most of these memes are in many ways extensions of my ideas that I think can be better delivered in a comedic sense yeah. And, um, there's a group of people that enjoy that and only that. And then they're, I don't know what they think when they see the other stuff, but if their likes are any indicator, then they're not, they don't really enjoy the rest of it, which is the long form kind of post about, it's, it's sort of a pseudo essay. And there are people yeah. that are here for that. And then there are people that, I don't know, I don't really have a great grasp on what people think of it. So it's really hard to gauge, uh, what impact it's having it's hard I've, I've noticed that with some of the most successful facebook uh profiles that i've seen with engaging they stick to certain types of content and they actually double down on it like there's one guy i know that all he does is those pseudo long form stuff and that's all he's all done are those kind of essays and they're highly engaged right um but when i look at who's engaging with that they also do the same format so because I, I constantly, one of the things I constantly do in marketing is I always see who's engaging with content and what content they're posting. And it's usually very similar, like style, not the content, not meaning like left leaning, right leaning center, or like, do they like tech? Do they like video games? Do they like, you know, blockchain, whatever it is. 
it's more like that the actual content style that they post is quite similar. So if they do gifts or memes, they're, 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 they're people who are following do that. And that's why with mine, I try to kind of switch it up to see if I can capture new people to get into their feed by trying various things of content. But I have to agree with you that there's certain types of content on my stream already that people expect and that they engage with more. And when I, when I step out of that zone, there's a definite drop in engagement. Like it's just apparent. Um, and I think that's partially because you probably have built that brand on that, that gift side, that meme side, and people are used to that and it'll take time to kind of find people on the, the essay side, you know? Yeah, I think uh, what helps me not get removed from the news feeds that I haven't been removed from is that it's pretty easy to look and see, oh, it's one of those. So I'm just not gonna read the long post. I'm just gonna wait for that next meme or vice versa. Yeah. <laughs> and so that's kind of worked out, but because I don't really know what the reactions are, it's difficult because what I have is a small sample size of doing something like this, where I go meet someone one-on-one -on -one and then talk to them about my Facebook. And there's someone who would never like or comment on it, but they would say, oh, I really enjoy it because it, I just go, I just kind of marinate on it. And then mm -hmm. whatever I take away from it, maybe I agree, maybe I don't. But that's kind of the end of that transaction. Like they're not going to go back to that post, find it, and then post their comment or a reply or a rebuttal. Like that's pretty much over. Like the only times I ever had that was when there were some few really conservative people that were on my Facebook and have since parted ways. Yeah, it's tough. It's tough. I mean, like. I think it's really interesting what you're doing here because no, I, I don't know of many podcasts or, or just, you know, collecting this information where you talk to people about how they use their social media. We always get analyzation by like Zuckerberg and people who work for Facebook and Google and Snapchat and TikTok that are always telling us how we use it, but actually asking people, you don't get that much, right? And already in this conversation, you can kind of tell people use it for varying different things and they view it as varying different things. Like some people view it as the truth. Some people view it as the, we're the only place that news exists. Some people view it as, well, if it's on Facebook, it must be real. Some people view it as, well, that's where my life is. That's how my life should look, you know? And I think it's interesting what you're doing. I, I hope that you'll keep doing this with as many people as you can, because it would be a really good case study to see how people view, normal everyday people view social media, rather than hearing it from you know, the experts, not that I'm against experts. It's just like, sometimes it's good to hear how the, how people view how they use social media, because it's actually much, much more telling on, on um, you know, how we see it. And it is kind of a bummer, because I've parted a ways with a lot of my conservative friends. And it's not like I don't have some views even that are conservative, but it's just that, that uh, a lot of times it's just the conversation can't grow. And my Facebook, I, I guess I've just decided that I'm going to die at some point and I don't have time to talk about certain things <laughs> in my life that, that yeah, I Yeah, some things just, aren't worth uh, evaluating yeah, anymore. Just, I'm like, I'm, I'm going to be dead. I, I turned 30 recently and I've kind of had my little like mini midlife crisis. I'm like, dude, I don't have time to talk about this. Like, it's just not worth it. You know, like you're, you're in your opinion, I'm in mine. I hate that we're not going to be seeing each other's sides because I think there's danger to that. And I think there's danger in thinking that somehow like this person's less of a person for having these ideals. But like at the same time, I'm like, I, I, this just doesn't bring me any joy. 
you know, I'm gonna Mari Kondo this shit. <laughs> Basically just say like, cut it. Like if it's not bringing me joy, why am I doing it, you know? Exactly, and uh, yeah, I, that's why I've decided to stop really in, engaging in my personal life because, and you know, it's not something that anyone could really know, but I just don't typically have these kinds of political conversations or these long form diatribes Same. with like people in real life. Like I'm, I, I just kind of throw it up, just throw up on there, just kind of get it out of my system and then whoever that's what wants, it feels like right yeah it's, it's like it's like getting out of your system sorry to interrupt but yeah i totally agree yeah it's like a catharsis like i just i need some kind of outlet for the fact that i am taking the time to consider these things and that something i think is worth considering isn't existing elsewhere that i'm seeing it and so i'm putting it out there and whoever wants to consider it can and whoever doesn't gets the drill at this point and that's why yep. I do it that way, as opposed to like, keep trying to find people in my personal life to who will listen to like a monologue or something. Yeah, no, I like how you said that. Cause it's like, it, it really is that I'm not, I love, I love that you said it that way. Cause it is, it's not like I'm trying to create a bubble or to ignore other people's opinions. It's more just like, if you're not even willing to consider the argument, why am I talking with you? Right? Cause if there's no consideration in general, right? then this conversation will never get anywhere in the first place. So it goes back to what I said. It ain't worth my time, you know? So like, that, I, I love how you said that. That's exactly, that's, it's well put because I couldn't really describe how, why I post or why I do that. And I think you nailed it on the head. And to your point earlier, um, people do feel that there's a right way and many wrong ways to use especially Facebook, because I think it's the most open-ended platform. I mean, it's really hard to not use Snapchat the way it was intended. But um, I think 2020 has specifically escalated that because we're seeing people who are, as I call it, tone policing. They're trying to come on and they're trying to tell people that you need to be curating your social media this way. Like I had seen someone say, uh, stop posting about politics because Facebook isn't the place for politics because it's not worth mm. holding a friend <laughs> over. And yeah. I, I made a long form essay in response to that um, because it wasn't that person. I didn't call them out. It was several people I had seen with that sentiment. Uh, so how do you feel that 2020 has specifically changed social media? And how do you think that it's affected our political dialogue? Well, really what happened, I mean, it, it, when, when you look back, like a lot of things happened in 2020, and I can tell my kind of side of it, of, of how I've seen it change and how some of my predictions were correct and some were wrong. But like, for example, I think that a lot of these things have been in place to accelerate what has happened to social media. Like it's not just what 2020 did to it, these, these aspects have been in place, but COVID accelerated it, right? So like, if we look at, you know, 2020 as a whole and kind of like entering it in, I entered it in kind of going like, okay, this year could be good, this kind of thing, COVID hits, I end up like moving back to Minnesota because I'm like, why am I living in LA when like, I, I can't do anything, my lease is up, I'm just gonna head out. And while this is happening, I was making a bunch of decisions, you know, cause like things were all up in the air. There was, it was basically chaos, we didn't know are we going back to work? Like, 
uh, masks, no masks, like social distancing, is it on every surface, is it not on every surface? Like all these kind of things were going on. And as people started losing jobs and kind of getting sheltered in and being sheltered, guess what they turned to? The internet to connect. And there were some beautiful moments there, right? There were some amazing moments where I was connecting with my family more than I'd ever connected with them before, right? I was, I was talking with people and checking in on people I hadn't in, in a long time. And there was that, that beautiful aspect. But then there's the dark side of it, where as in if everybody's spending more time on the internet, a, a lot of reality gets distorted towards that internet, right? Because you're not able to go out and see people or meet people or, or, or just even have some kind of like um, every, uh, everyday life that, that it distorts it because you're looking on the internet to kind of get that news and, and stuff. So I think that what has happened is basically social media has been what I was describing before, where it's always had these algorithms that are going to promote content based on the most engagement. And the most engaging content tends to be very, very um, like argumentative or controversial, right? And Facebook will always promote that to the top. So the more like controversial or the more you can try to be a, like basically a troll, the more likely it's gonna get promoted. And what you can start seeing with what's been happening with like QAnon blow, blowing up and kind of getting more people is that right when QAnon and all this stuff was, was going on, um, when this started kind of getting big, Facebook had done a couple things and so had YouTube. Facebook, and this is before COVID, Facebook had made groups. Groups was a big deal when it came out. So groups were, this huge thing was like, we're gonna try to fix the whole Facebook page and you're always getting advertisements. That was their promise. We're gonna show you more friends. You're gonna have these groups. We're gonna promote these groups. At the same time, YouTube had switched its algorithm over from clicks and basing your, what you're going to view next on what you click. Because what they were finding was people were just putting titles, cool titles in to get clickbait. They started putting it to what you view on your view rate. The problem with this is that if you view a bunch of cat videos, you're never going to get a dog video. So if you view a bunch of like anti-police stuff, you're gonna get a bunch of anti-police stuff. If you view a bunch of pro-police stuff, you're gonna get a bunch of pro-police. And then you'll start questioning to yourself like, well, if there's so much video content about the pro-police, how could the anti-police people be right, right? And these combined together, then COVID hits, is basically everybody jumped onto YouTube. Everybody jumped into groups. They were looking for answers because it's scary. It's a scary thing. Like it is, it's chaos. It's, it's, it's really, unnerving knowing that the country was moving in a certain direction and you had some certainties to having none right and with a ton of people out of work it's a lot of people who have maybe had hardships in their life looking for answers so i think for to answer your question these things have been moving this direction in general through facebook algorithm through the things that they built and now we're kind of coming to a reckoning with everybody being online and searching for answers and posting what they think and their opinions it's basically accelerated this. I don't think that this, we were gonna get here at some point in general, right? COVID has just sped it up. Because it used to be, if you were a crazy person and, and there was no social media, you'd just be a crazy person on the side of the road yelling into the wind, right? You couldn't find other crazy people. Now you can, pretty easily. You just search for a group or a Reddit thread or you go to 4chan, 8chan, right? Like it's really easy to find your other believers that can validate your opinion, right? So I think that COVID has sped that up so much, but it was bound to happen. Like we were gonna have to come to a reckoning on social media at some point. Do I blame them 100% for how this has happened? Not really, they, this is kind of just part of their incentive structure, right? But 
we do are going to we're going to have to make i don't have the answer but we're going to have to uh do something about this either government wise or or some kind of thing and i don't even know if censorship is the right idea either so i know it's a long-winded answer to your thing but i think we're kind of coming to this reckoning quicker but it was bound to happen at some point so to, we're going to have to start treating social media with much more respect and getting a lot more serious about how it's managed yeah absolutely I have a friend who is a rhetoric student who said that um, they're, they're thinking about what to call this transition because they, a lot of people have heard this term floating around, but they consider the current period postmodern, right? Mm -hmm. So that's the whole, everybody is in on the joke of everything. Like a commercial is, meta, is a meta joke on itself being a commercial and how lame that is, you know, all mm -hmm. the way to like someone breaking the fourth wall more regularly in television or in movies. And that's kind of like the hallmarks of postmodernism. So what they're saying is because of what you're describing, we really need to redefine what period this is because it's rapidly becoming something else. I mean, instead of just using the internet to kind of make fun of what we've taken for granted and reassessing like what we consider normal, we're really entering what they're now probably calling post-reality or magical realism is the term again. Mm -hmm. This magical realism is a little scary to me also because I don't know that, I don't think any of us are knowledgeable enough to be curating our own deregulated reality. I think that's a dangerous prospect. But I also feel that this is, to your end, it's an acceleration of what was already happening. I would say it's even an acceleration of what it has always been because I think that mm -hmm. before the internet, like you have three news channels if you go far back enough, but people, oh, yeah. but people would like start their own like newspaper with alternative facts as it were. Yeah. yeah. And then they would like get together into rooms and then they would like have their clubs and they're like, they're these kinds of people and like secret communist groups or whatever it was. And like, this is just making it so much easier for the average person who would have otherwise just been kind of a passive participant in whatever paradigm is being peddled to someone who is now seeing how easy it is and just making their preferences, they're projecting them out into this reality. I am a little afraid because I think the next point beyond this is not just curating what you want to see from other people, but literally having it tailor-made for you. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, I mean, that's the, that's the danger of like even Facebook, like, like uh, Twitter, for example, being like, you can uh, deny certain topics from seeing them. Most of them are like nude pics and like XX, like it's stuff like that. But like, you could take that to a new level where you could say, I just only want to see this right wing side of stuff, or I only want to see this left wing, or I only want to see cats, right? It could, it could be anything. But I think, I think what the, the, the funny thing is I, I tell people this a lot of time. This is what I hear from a lot of people that are always like, it's, it's usually, and again, I have nothing wrong with right wing, left wing or anything. Like I, I'm liberal. I kind of lean that way. Um, I'm not saying I'm always right. I don't think so. I think two party systems good. I just think that it is interesting that usually when I converse with a lot of right leaning, they're convinced that the media somehow has control over people. Right. Um, and I usually respond by, they only have control of people don't understand that that they're vying for control, right? This stuff has been going on to your point forever, right? Like QAnon's really close to elders of Zion. Re religion does the same thing. They all kind of follow similar 
styles, right? They've always done this, like, because they, they kind of like, they, there's only certain, so, so many types of like being reborn again and, and you know, and, like having mortals and having a God and having, it's the same thing with, with conspiracy theories where they really have similar uh, uh, themes on all of them. And what I think is the difference from back in the day where you say like you're three news channels, you can start your own newspaper. You're right, it's the same thing. It really hasn't changed. Like misinformation and disinformation could still travel and be projected by people. And what people think of like newspapers was, well, they're gonna write what the readers want. It's the same with the news. Of course, they're gonna go to COVID deaths and this kind of thing, because they wanna keep you watching. And if you understand they wanna keep you watching, you can put it into perspective. The difference is now, I think that has changed from back in the day where it was like a newspaper or you only had three channels or where propaganda could kind of easily go through if it was, because you, you only had so many ways to get information, is that now content is suggested to you. That's what has kind of changed, is that now, even if you're not radicalized, you can get radicalized. Because let's say you go on there and you're like, ah, oh, I kind of feel depressed. I'm looking for, um, and this is like a common way that people have become radicalized is, they look for self-help videos. A lot of those self-help videos, they start out with self-help self and then they turn into the systems against you. You are a white man born in a, a, a country that doesn't support you anymore. You know what I mean? That's why you don't have a job. That's why, you know, like people call you racist. That's why, you know, cause you're a thinker cause you think for yourself. And they, they kind of bring you down this rabbit hole of being victimized basically, right? Whereas in these people were just looking for help, just trying to find it on their own, they then go down this thing. And I think that suggested content is the only real difference from what you're explaining. Because I'm 100% on board with saying like, this has been going on for forever. Like you could go back to Rome and there was this type of misinformation or spreading or finding your bubble, right? But now it's on a different level because people who you'd normally be like, you're, you're completely on board. You're, you're down to earth. You don't believe it's flat, like you, you get it have have switched and it's because of that content suggestion where they just didn't know they were going down the rabbit hole right um so i think that's the only difference i would say now from from back then is that just that suggested like here's what to watch next so dangerous so dangerous and you know i know that there's ways to fix it but the problem is google and facebook would never do that because if they're like oh well, this next video will show you the opposite side of this argument guess what that person might do not watch it which is Facebook and Google's worst nightmare because they want to keep you watching. So of course they're going to feed you more content. But then once you know the game, that's what I try to tell people. Once you know that game, then you can put it into perspective and be like, am I actually watching something that is real or is it because it's an advertisement? Kind of the South Park where it was like, can you guess what an advertisement is? We're literally living in that nowadays because everything is almost an advertisement because it's there to get you to stay online. Yes, absolutely. There is even a term that I'm I'm not remembering right now, but it was like something news, like integrated news or something where companies are paying like uh, news outlets who are struggling, obviously, to make what would be an advertisement into a news piece so that it seems like an objective interest that this newspaper thinks is a, an interest that everyone should know about when really it's just yeah. a product. Yeah, it's like, it's like, Today, special sale on Amazon. Wow, this is amazing. And it's like, that's not news, buddy. That's a that's an app. <laughs> yeah. You know, <laughs> like seven of the best products on Amazon cheap today. Like, again, BuzzFeed, that's not news. That's that's an ad. Um, yeah, totally.
totally. I don't know. I, I for a marketing guy, I don't even know what that that's really called. But uh, I probably I probably should. That probably shows my my uh, not my marketing chops on that <laughs> answering that question. It really speaks to something that they've learned about people and the way that they've come to exploit us is that stories are just so much more compelling and digestible to people for whatever reason than a comprehensive studying of any one topic. Just like the way these stories have amalgamated into a false dichotomy is really interesting. I was getting into this a little bit on the last episode that there's really the conservative story and people aren't going to know the facts or the policies. They wouldn't be able to tell you that this bill was on the Senate floor as we speak, because it's really just the story that they're aligning with. And it's like a vague appeal to virtue. And the, the democratic story is much the same. Like it's, it's not very specific very often. It's more like we believe in empathy. And then the conservative side is like, this is about strength as if these things are like mutually exclusive. Yeah, I mean, you know, I feel like um, John Stewart said it best. You know, he talked about, he was on, um, I was in the Pod Save America a lot and he was on there and he was just saying, like, here's what happened. Basically 20 years ago, 25 years ago, Republicans right side realized just through math that if they don't do something soon, um, they will not have enough votes and it will be generational because just people don't switch votes. People have this like some, somehow they think like when you're younger, you're one side and you grow up and you switch to be conservative, but that's just not true. There's no data that supports that. So basically they've been looking at it and saying, wow, like this is going to be an issue. So either we need to start, there's not enough policies, right, to your point, to stand on. There's like, you know, obviously, most of their policies are about like limiting rights, right? Voting rights, like access to healthcare, abortion rights, like a lot of it for, for a party that spouses freedom, they sure do want to take freedom away from a lot of people. But it is interesting that in those 25 years, they basically thought, okay, so the colleges aren't going to teach what we want them to teach. The media outlets aren't going to do what we want them to do. So we just have to make our own. We have to do our, we have to come up with our own programs, our own stories, like you're saying, to tell people and they have to villainize the left. They must villainize them because the, the best way to do this is to fight against something, right? And to make it feel like a battle and to tell that story as a battle. And they've done this now, Fox News, and they, they have these outlets that are so powerful to tell this story, like you're saying. Do they know what policies? Like I was just listening to this daily where this, this young girl, 30, grew up, she's, she's a Catholic, she grew up in a family, they're all right wing. And she's like, my dad's like, they're gonna raise the, Joe Biden's gonna raise your middle class taxes. And she's like, I went to his site and it said, he's only gonna raise taxes for people making 400,000 a year or more, right? She was smart enough to go do the research. And she's like, it's amazing the misinformation. And she just felt sad. Like she was just expressing herself. She's like, I, I don't know who to believe. You know, and I, I get that as a voter, like if you're not as tuned in as some people and you're just tuning in now, it's got to be very confusing. Right. And but but the one thing the Democrats don't have is that story. Right. We usually like leverage on policy, like look at Warren. I got a plan right for everything. So we've missed that. And, and that story is kind of what Obama was really good at. It was kind of laying out this hope this like this is who we are. We're trying to move forward, provide more freedom for people provide, you know, for the weakest among us to make it equal level playing field for everybody in the US. Things that normal people, if you just said it like that, would be like, yeah, clean water, 
clean air, you know, renewable energy, because guess what? Oil is not, it will run out. So it's just, I, I, I like how you said that, because it really is, they've shaped the story and they've been able to take 25 years and say, we're going to shape a story. We're going to build a story. We're going to have a villain and we're going to have the news outlets or at least outlets to get this information directly to people. I mean, AFM, uh, AM and FM radio has been huge for conservatives, right? They've been, Rush Limbaugh has been on there for years spouting his stuff that you could turn into. And guess what? For most people in the rural areas, that's what you had. You know, you may have not had internet. Internet hasn't been as accessible as it is today. So I think you're right. I think the one thing that is missing from the global side is, is good stories. And the conservatives have latched onto that where they, they couldn't tell you the policy that's on the floor in general. It's just that whatever, whatever is going to happen with the left side is, is worse for America in general. That's what, it's, it's as simple as that. Yeah, and that's just kind of the nature of a majority versus a minority, right? Because exactly, you know, you, you can go back in time and there's always been enough support to keep swinging the pendulum in, in the presidency. But it doesn't mean that most of the country wasn't conservative. They most certainly were. And uh, because the Democratic Party didn't represent liberal values, I mean, hell, if you go back far enough, they were actually the conservative party. Yeah. Yep. Um, so it's only recently that enough people have even come together to form what is what we know to be the colloquial woke perspective. And that story is not really fully formed because there's no opportunity for it to be. It's not that we're, this is who we are and this is what we need to continue doing. It's that we need to react really quickly to the very damaging story that people believe is good, which is actually harming people. Yeah. Well, when you're reacting, you're not laying out a plan, right? You're just reacting, which is what we're doing now, right? And it's hard when you're in a big tent party because it's not like, it's really easy when it's a bunch of evangelicals, white people, right? Because <laughs> you can kind of figure out your story pretty quickly. But when you have a ton, when you have a very diverse group of people, that story is going to be hard to figure out. Exactly. It's like, this is, we're just doing damage control and it's hardly a narrative. And what happens is the obviously the majority of Democrats are not very liberal in any real sense. They're white religious people, mostly Catholic actually. And mm -hmm. that's how you get like Biden. Uh, mm -hmm. Because it's like, well, it's not really, it's not the conservative story that's the issue because I mostly buy into this telling of America and how we got here. It's just that we need to work out a couple of things. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, when I was in the primary, I was, uh, my girlfriend was a Bernie Sanders fan. I love Bernie, too. I was a Pete Buttigieg guy. I love Pete. I thought he was clever and, and, and cool. Um, I thought the, the cool thing for, for the primary for me was, like, talk about a bunch of talented fucking people, right? Like, you looked at, you, I looked up there, and I was like, there's your cabinet. Whoever gets this, that's your cabinet. You have, like, everybody in there. Warren for economy. You know, Harris, VP now, you know. Buttigieg, she could be doing, you know, vet, veteran affairs. Like you, you have everybody to make a great government up there. But what happens when the minority rules, which is what's going on in America, I mean, we could run up to this election and have 10 million votes for Biden and still have Trump as president. That's not even a republic. That's not even a dem democracy anymore. Like when it comes down to it, we have to start looking at the electoral college, in my opinion. We have to start looking at lifetime 
Supreme Court things. We have to start limiting how long you can serve in Congress and Senate. Like, like, I mean, I remember looking at watching the blockchain because I'm in blockchain as well and cryptocurrency. I remember watching that hearing and just the questions that were coming from some of these old senators were like, so how does the internet work? Like, it was just like, we, we are really faltering here. Um, and it's the same with the Senate. I mean, talk about like, if you add up the amount of people that are in the areas that the Senate Democrats represent compared to the Republicans, I mean, it is like 70 to 30. It's crazy, the population difference, but yet there's less states that are blue. So, I mean, to your point, I think that, I think that there's some, some fundamentals. I'm really hoping that, you know, I don't know if Joe Biden was the best choice. I, I have no clue. I do think that he, for right now, for the people that we're playing to, he does have the empathy. He, who knows about everything else, but he does have a good story when it comes to the empathy and his, his suffering that he's had and suffering that people are now having nowadays. There is, um, he understands that and he gets that. I really truly think that empathy is one of the most crucial fundamental human values and feelings that you, that people should have and try to have. And that would make the world a much better place, including self-awareness. But as if, I, I don't know what's going to happen with the election. I don't know if he was the right choice. Um, I do hope that if we do, you know, if Democrats do get a hold of the Senate and the presidency, um, that they'll actually try to curtail the executive power and their own power. But the chances of that, you know how it is. Once people get in power, they, they don't want to curtail it, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, he's certainly smart to project that empathy. I certainly agree that he's doing a good job of communicating it. I don't think his voting record supports a paradigm of empathy, but he is offering that solution to Trump because what annoys people, even Republicans about him, is just how unempathetic he truly is. So yeah. it's, again, that, that vague virtue alignment that they're peddling ultimately because the five second YouTube commercial is really a great analogy to me because that's where we're at. That's how much attention you have of anyone. Exactly. So needs to work in five seconds because we don't have that 30 second commercial anymore. The space for that just isn't there in the way the movies are not competing with short form content on YouTube. So. No, you're right. You're right. Very short attention span to, to, to tell a message, you know, so he's doing a good job of that, and hey, I'll take it. I mean, obviously, he has my vote. It's he's nowhere near my ideal candidate, but no, that, most that, people, <laughs> most people, not. <laughs> that brings me to uh, this question: How has twenty twenty changed your political views, if any? You know, it's really. I don't know if it's changed. It's definitely given me a shorter fuse. I, I, I am of the aspect. And I get that there are people that are not of this, and I appreciate them. I appreciate everything Bernie Sanders and supporters have done because they've pushed us to where we need to go. But I'm also of the of the side of things where I'm like, look, like I'm, I'm I try to be a realist where I'm like, yeah, Biden isn't what I want, but I everything I predicted for where Trump is headed he's done. Everything he says he'll do, he does. It's never a joke. Like anybody who's still thinking that he's just joking about things, literally people ask him the next day when their, his staff is like, are you joking? He's like, no. And he's being honest about everything. When he says like, I'm going to try to get another term, he means it. When he says he's not going to relinquish power, he means it. 
is this next election going to be bloody as hell? Yeah, I actually do believe so. I hate saying that. I don't want it to be. Do I think that the interim, if, if, if Joe Biden is somehow chosen, and I do I think it's going to happen easily? No, I think this is going to be pretty bad. I think we're headed towards, and even, you know, experts who've done, you know, the war game scenario say that this could be really, really bad. So my views in 2020 have turned much more into, I, I want all these very progressive policies, but I'm also trying to be practical because I'm realizing now that the one thing with democracy is you can vote to end it. And that if you, if you don't take care of it and try to nurture it, it will fall. I mean, Rome's only lasted about 200 years. Um, you know, most dem democracies have only lasted up to 300 years. We're getting near that mark. Um, you know, and even England hasn't been a democracy that long. I mean, they were a monarch. So it's like, we don't have many scenarios where democracies have lasted that long and we could be seeing the end of one now. So what's changed in my political view has been kind of going to more practicality of like, how can we just get to a point where we can fix our system because our system is fundamentally broken. And without fixing the system, we can't fix other things. Like we can't address, you know, uh, racial injustices. We can't address, um, you know, climate change. And, and or even if you don't believe in it, just keeping clean water and clean air and having renewable energy, because if you want a strong military, you shouldn't have them just relying on oil, <laughs> like, because oil, we could run out. So like, just looking at it from these perspectives and trying to be more practical and saying like, we just got to last and get to this next, this next hurdle. Because if we keep heading down this direction, I honestly do think that 2024, if Trump gets reelected, will not be an election. Because any smart person, you get to a certain point where you just don't host elections anymore um, because they're dangerous, right? Or at least if you do host them, it's a guaranteed shoo-in for the, for the person. So I don't know. It's, it's, it, I've gotten more active in it. I do text messages on the weekends to try to get people to vote and stuff. So for me, 2020 has just kind of made me more active. I think it's made a lot of younger people active, um, but it's also kind of made me much more aware that we have to do a better job of um, paying attention and trying to, uh, to keep our democracy going, <laughs> you know, like doing more amendments to the constitution. Like we, we have to take care of it. Like the idea that it just sits there and is like stagnant and will forever protect us, I think to me has been an illusion. Yeah, I agree. And uh, it's, it's not really all that satisfying to me because I do see people say like, well, when it collapses, the left can say, I told you so, and that will bring me no gratification. I don't, <laughs> don't want that to happen. The bragging that? rights. Am I going to like post that I was right on Facebook while I'm sitting like in a dirty street? I mean, this is not what I want. We're behind bars. Yeah, yeah told you. <laughs> exactly. And uh, right. yeah. so, so it's, it's not good. We should definitely be collectively interested in preventing that. Um, and there seems to be too few people who are concerned with it because of their biases. Like they don't want to concede anything at this point because tensions are so high that if you concede an inch, you give a mile in their eyes. So yeah, well, yeah, 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 yeah. And I mean, to your point, like I, I, I think that we have to kind of concede certain things, but you can't concede there certain things to where there is no reality to concede to, right? Like that's just, it's not possible. And I think it sometimes stops the discussion, but you're right. Like, I don't know where we're gonna end up. All I can tell you is that like, 
I know it's kind of like when I paid off my first credit card, I was like, Oh my God, I feel so much lighter. This feels great. I, I didn't even know there was a weight on my shoulder. And then I feel like this election, like either I'm going to continue having what feels like a, a, an anvil on my chest or hopefully it'll be lifted and I'm going to feel way different. Something I haven't felt in a while, but I can tell you that I, I, I don't know. I feel heavier in the past four years. Like it's a weird term to explain it, but that's the only way I can explain it. It's just kind of stress, you know? Yeah. I think we're all feeling that. I think even on the right, they're, they're feeling it because we do have to remember that there were many people who are coming to Trump's defense for their own Republican paradigm, the protection of it, but they internally would condemn this person. And if they were being really honest, they would very much dislike many things about him. And I'm sure one of them would be his lack of seriousness about the consequences of him being so flippant. So I, I do think we're all feeling that. And everything that we've discussed, it has an emotional toll. And, and while we've been feeling some kind of weight for four years, I think 2020 has really compounded it in a hyper intense way. So how has 2020 been for you specifically and what kind of mental state has it put you in? Well, the funny thing is 2020 is like financially and like job-wise has probably been one of the best years for me, which is horrible, right? The economy's going in the shitter. There's hundreds of people losing their jobs, but I'm a, you know, a white boy from a well-to-do family who has a support structure who, you know, was in LA, decided like, okay, well, let's get out of here. Or at least it's done. COVID's hitting. I, I don't really think I want to be here paying for expensive. Let's go to my cabin in Tahoe, right? Total rich white boy thing. Let's go stay there, free rent for two months, and then we'll go to Minnesota, right? So for me, it's like I, I've been able to stay home, work from home, keep my job, start doing consulting, start building another company, do all these things because I have a support structure. I was born into a good family. I mean, that, that is just the basic honesty of it. So what's going to happen, at least what I'm predicting, is we're going to see much more of like the wealth keep going up and the, the, the actual medium of which the poor and middle class are compared to the super wealthy expand and expand which makes people more dangerous, right? Looting happens, rioting happens. I mean, peaceful protests tend to turn to that, but I always question like, how many of these people who are doing this? Yeah, you see the videos of some of the bad ones, but how many of them are actually like, look, I actually legitimately don't have food for my kids tomorrow. And I see the store already broken into, I'm gonna go grab some, right? So it's like, for me, mentally, it's been tough. Like I remember being in Tahoe and seeing all, like the George Floyd death happened and I visited uh, the, the the weekend it, it happened and I, I I went out for a march for a little bit but I remember them them leaving and having like weeks of this and feeling just so helpless like just like what can I do like can I give money can I like I just felt like my privilege was weighing so heavily on me because I was just sitting there like I'm doing nothing to help like absolutely nothing I'm actually part of the problem so for me it's like it's a 50 50 it's like wow you know you've, you've done good for yourself you you, you're financially set, you, you have like an, a nice place to live and all this kind of stuff. And on the other hand, I'm sitting here thinking like, oh, that's because of where I was born. And yeah, hard work, but mostly just who I was born and who, what color my skin is and all this kind of stuff, it makes it a lot easier. So for 2020 for me, it's been just really, it's been stressful, but for all the wrong, all you would consider the wrong reasons, it's more just morally, I felt depleted. 
you know, just like, man, I don't know where to fight. I don't know how, I don't know if, you know, I'm helping in any way I'm trying. Um, and that, that kind of just, you know, weighs on you over time. I think, especially if you, if you, you just think about a lot of the people who are suffering and, you know, how I'm lucky enough not to. So I don't know if that quite answers your question. It's, it's a mixed bag of feelings, basically. Oh, sure. I mean, there's, there's a human aspect of having to put your own narrative aside, your own priorities and feelings about yourself and, and your goals and realize that it's just not worthy of precedent at the current moment. I mean, that, that's just difficult for anybody, right? And it's something everyone can relate to, at least on a micro scale. So if they weren't or have never been in a great situation financially, they know what it's like to walk down the street and be trying to go somewhere or talk on the phone and then like perhaps a homeless person asks for money and in that moment you are probably feeling something to the degree of what you're describing which is you you're realizing that you're in a better place you do have more resources and you're trying to figure out your responsibility in this situation and you're going to feel a mixed bag of emotions no matter what you do or how you respond to that situation so it is a unique problem unto itself. And I don't think it should be discarded. I mean, I'd, it's certainly not the most important thing, unfortunately, right now. It's not the worst kind of problem one can have, but it's certainly a real threat to mental health. And we've definitely seen people become very distraught over this, despite having pretty much everything that they need physically. Yeah, no, you're right. Yeah, I mean, like, talk about, you know, I, I, I know a ton of, like, people that I went to school with who have, you know, um, committed suicide and, and more recently this year. And I know that it's, I mean, mental health is, is just declining so rapidly for so many people for so many reasons from, even if you are well off, like you could just be depressed because you're not seeing enough people, you know, um, it's different for everybody. But I, I think everybody to your point is kind of in a similar boat right now. And, and that was the hope. That's what it felt like so hopeful you know, when we first started this COVID, it felt like we were much more together, but now it just seems like everything's politicized. You know, if you wear a mask, if you, if you, it's just such a simple thing. It's like, when I look at masks, I think of it like, well, I choose to wear a shirt. Like, who cares what people wear for whatever reason, you know? Like, I, I've seen people in California where, like, it's a dating couple and the guy has, like, a leash on his neck. And she's caring. If that's what he enjoys, then that's what he enjoys. Like, whatever, you know. So I don't know. I just feel like we're living in such a polarized time that it makes everything stressful. You know, you 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 question yourself on things you normally wouldn't question yourself. And I think there's some good to that. You know, I think some of the racial stuff, especially in Minnesota, you know, really diving in and learning how much in Minnesota we like white people have literally built neighborhoods that were meant to just be white people. Like that was purposeful, you know, and learning that stuff is important. Um, it doesn't mean, you know, like some, some people take this like, well, now you're just, you know, beating down on yourself and you're being, you're, you're taking on, um, you know, stuff from other people that shouldn't be your responsibility. But that's kind of what empathy is, you know? Like you don't want to take it too far, but it's not sympathy. It's not, it's not looking at people and being like, oh, that sucks. It's being like, oh, wow, let me get down in this hole with you and sit down here and feel what how horrible this is. And hopefully then I'll have a better understanding of, of how to help. 
I mean, it's, it's difficult because this is what I was saying to my last guest. It's a conundrum in that you have to intellectualize someone else's experience, right? Because you, you can have every intention in the world of getting an idea of what it's like, and then you'll just never really have that qualitative factor to living it. Because um, sure. I, I did live in predominantly black neighborhoods for a few years in New York City. And my experience wasn't more black. It was still white, but it was now what a white person goes through being a minority in a black neighborhood. Yeah. And yeah, so you can, right? you can approach an approach closer to this goal and you'll never really get it. There will always be no. unknown factors. And so, yeah, there comes a point where you can't take it too far in the in the thought that you can only help so much as you understand, there's going to have to come a point where you just see, okay, I get where this is going. This is much greater and uh, visceral than I will ever know. And I just have to help and I have to be more of an ear than a mouth in this situation. Exactly. So yeah, it is, it is a conundrum and it is hard to know what to do because it's never going to be just any one person's efforts. Sometimes it's not even doing anything to your point. Like sometimes it's just the empathy is just, hey, I'm here. I don't know what you're going through, but if I can help in any way, let me know. You know, and that and that's it, right? But like, I remember going to South Korea for the first time and being like, <laughs> like having that experience of being like the only white person and having people stare at me because it was like, you know, a, a white kid walking around. So like that experience to me was like, wow, this is different. This is weird. I wonder if it's people experience this every day. You know. Right. I do like to get to, and I intend to do this with everybody, when we, 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 we make this context, right? We create this circle of understanding about what's going on and we talk about ourselves, we talk about what's going on on social media, the people around us. But if we could get existential, how has 2020 changed your religious views, if at all, or has it perhaps cemented them? Um. I don't know. Ever since I hit 30, well, I mean, in this whole year, I've been kind of thinking more and more about religion and even dying and stuff, just because I think it's kind of healthy to come to your own mortality sometimes. I've kind of come to the conclusion that most likely, do you remember what, what it was like before you were born? No. Well, that's probably what, that probably people don't like that, but more than likely that's the case. It's just, there's no existence, so there's nothing. Like, you don't have any frame of reference to not exist. But has it cemented it? I don't know. I think for me, it's not cemented it religion as much as much as it's cemented like viewing myself as mortal. Because like, you know, when you're young, like you're 18, like I don't remember this ever thinking about mortality, like, ever. Even into like my early 20s, just being like, you just go, right? It's not like you know life will end, but it's not like you ever are sitting there contemplating it. You know, you basically are just you just live. Right, which is a good thing to do, especially when you're young, because like that's what you should be doing. But I think this year it's, it's really brought into kind of my thinking and, and the way I view it as like time. Time is important. How are you going to spend that time? Because you're not getting it back. It's the one finite resource that you're just you just don't get back. So how are you going to spend this? And, and when when it is getting close to the end of your life, are you going to be happy with how you spent that time? You know. And kind of back to the Mari Kondo, what brings you joy? You know, I think that's important. And reminding yourself that you have a limited time here 
is important and that's why i've never really been a religious guy because i don't i don't want to think of it as oh eventually i'll die and then i'll have more time i'm not convinced that that'll be the case i think you got to use the time now to do all you can yeah definitely i would agree the reason i think it's important is because i consider religion the shadow of our discourse i mean under the political story the social paradigm and our own personal biases is this foundational element for most people. Of course, there are people that were raised secular or they ended up digesting a lot of these concepts in a secular way. They didn't really have a fervor for religion, but most people certainly do, mm -hmm. and definitely in America. So mm -hmm. I think that under all of this is this foundational element of people's personalized, deregulated, experience of Christianity. And I think that it's playing a huge part in validating the stories. Like yeah. the, the idea isn't that uh, Europeans came over here to create a free country because they just wanted to. It was they're trying to escape religious tyranny and then live the true way God wants you to. Yeah, yeah there actually is a bunch of prudes. Yeah, and uh, the, the idea is that, well, our morality comes from God. So it's it's supernaturally sponsored and therefore it's not debatable. And I think that's yeah, part of validated. Yeah, I think that's a big part of why so much of this is considered taboo and not debatable and why there's a huge pushback from people who are making very easy and obvious points. And I think that your consideration of this, this sort of uh this you you're not really taking it super seriously. You you see it for what it is, you accept that people are gonna do that if that's their deal. But because of that, you're able to learn new things like, oh, maybe God did not bless America with land and give white people this <laughs> supremacy thing. Yeah, like maybe so it's taken with gunpowder. Yeah, like we took it with gunpowder and that just seems to be a really hard concept for people on the right because the idea is that God blessed America, we put it on our money to remind us, and this was all part of a divine plan, as it were. Divine intervention. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. I, I haven't thought of it that way. I mean, but it is true. I mean, you, it, it's funny because I was listening to a podcast about like kind of where is America gone um, uh, diplomatically around the world. And how the constant is in there is you know what americans they can be full of themselves they can think that they have some special place and ability to tell us what we should do as a country because they're a, you know one of the superpowers but i have to say even though they do that the fact that they're missing right now we're missing on the world stage most of almost all the interviews in there say of activists that they miss the democratic values coming out of america and the fact that they're not coming out is causing a bunch of countries to have to figure it out on their own, which could be a really good thing, right? America losing some of its power there could be a good thing. I do think it's dangerous because of what China's doing. Because, you know, imagine China as the main superpower, like as the place that they go for the vaccine, the place that they go for um, how government should be run. And it's not a great thing. And I know we don't want endless wars and stuff, but I do think America, American values in some aspects are actually appreciated around the world in some aspects but americans do have that trap of falling into where we have put it everywhere like you said our money on our buildings on our like god gave us this land this is we're righteous for whatever we do because our cause is always righteous because we're americans right the bay of pigs incident right like we have to 
have some kind kind of like I think the hard thing is that when it comes to when what I see about right and left is that on the right if you you can't say anything bad or have any constructive criticism of America because that means you hate it or like there's right because it it's perfect it's always been perfect right whereas in, what I've seen on the left is constructive criticism doesn't mean that you hate the country it's meant that you love it so much you want to improve it right um, but both parties want that even even Republicans want changes right even if it is Roe v. v Wade struck down that's how they see the country being improved right so it's not like both sides want improvement it's just one I think takes it to a different level of patriotism being a shield right we were given this this is ours god gave us this this is our mission you know and to your point i think that there's it's it's been ingrained in us i didn't think of it the way you put it but like it, it's everywhere right like you said it's on our money it's on our buildings it's in our constitution it's in our pledge of allegiance you know like not even a pledge of allegiance just the term pledge of allegiance i've seen it, that i think it's kind of weird but yeah, man, it's really interesting. I haven't thought of it like that. Yeah, I think the rabbit hole goes really deep on this one. Like, why would the Republicans think that overturning Roe v. Wade would be an improvement on the country? Well, because they think that God wants that to happen. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, you're right. I haven't thought of it through that lens, but it, does, it, it is. They are so firm because they think that God is behind them. And when you have that view, yeah, fuck yeah. You know what? I would uh, fight like hell for things too, if you thought it was that, like that, if it was that black and white, you know? Um, yeah, and a lot of people, I always say they, they experience cognitive dissonance, right? Like they're having their own Facebook style deregulated experience of Christianity because they're not all going to read the same passages. No one's going to read the whole thing time and time again. No one's going to interpret it the same way or use the same version. So yep. um, I think on the left, because again, as we said, Democrats are mostly religious too. The country's mostly yep. religious. Yeah, the whole country. So on the left, I think they're reconciling a lot of these liberal social values with like the whole Jesus thing, the way the, way the mythology of Jesus has evolved over the years, that he's more of like this long haired hippie kind of guy. And for some reason, white, which as, uh, yeah. as uh, Daniel Sloth said, uh, that, that would be the true miracle if he was yeah. born in Bethlehem and, and white. But uh, that he's this hippie guy and he just like, he helps the poor and he, I mean, it seems like it lends itself to the liberal paradigm. And then the right are like more of this legalistic God type of biblical readers where they really like how authoritarian he is and very harsh and legalistic and so you can kind of pull what you want in a way but i hesitate to say that it's a complete it's no, completely it's devoid of meaning or that it's completely yeah. open yeah it's and it's not one side or the other i mean everybody the problem with religion is everybody uses it as a cudgel to beat the other person and i think we're seeing it especially now I don't think that the left or right are like they're equally religious. Like you said, America's just religious in general. I think that there's just some perspective. I think introspection has really left. And the funny thing is, is the right would say the same about us, right? Interest, your introspection, you don't look inside. You don't, you don't have self-awareness. You, you guys are so hypocritical. And I think there's valid, there's valid arguments for that, for sure, for the Democrat Party. Um, but I also think that there's a level of hypocrisy when it comes to you know, voting in a man who's probably never stepped into a church beyond just doing it when he's president 
a guy who's had multiple marriages and divorces, a guy who, you know, um, obviously has slept with multiple porn stars and said shit like, you know, I doubt your son has ever said grab him by the pussy, you know? Like, I get voting for someone because you think they'll, you're like ignoring their values because you think that they'll give you what you want, but admit that. That's all I'm asking. Just admit that that's what you're doing. Don't keep holding on to those because you can't have it both ways, in my opinion. You, you, can't, you can't come preaching to me to live the good life and then follow a man who doesn't. You know, it doesn't work that way. So that's all I would ask of Republicans. It's just like, hey, if, 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 that, if you say like, yep, you know what? He's a horrible individual. He doesn't really follow really anything religious. He's not some savior, but I get what I want out of him. I would be way more comfortable with that. Just having that honest discussion like, yeah, I might, I might, 401k is doing better and I got judges I wanted, you know? Yeah, I mean, I think there are those that do. And that's to the extent that they understand him to be uh, non-religious. And then there are those who think, well, this is very much indicative of God, at least, or especially in the Old Testament. And so he's very much biblical in that sense. And this is my experience of the judeo-christian god and he's very much like that in the way that we're supposed to be yeah like he's not perfect and he was meant to not be perfect and like now he's the savior because nobody's perfect like his sins have been forgiven yeah i've heard that too like you know what he you don't ever have the perfect savior that's the point right and trump has found himself right it's a pretty good argument you know because like how can you argue against that like, we don't know. Like, you, can't, you, can't, you can't ask him. <laughs> you know, of course, he's going to be like, yeah, totally. That's exactly what happened. So, yeah, I mean, you're not really going to get anywhere once you've heard a statement like that from someone. Uh, no, no, no. That, that conversation is gone at that point. Yeah, that's, that's a head nod for me. Um, <laughs> totally, totally, yeah. I mean, I was raised very religious, and um, I would... Yeah, I didn't know that. Yeah, absolutely. I was raised Southern Baptist, and I wasn't one of these like Marilyn Manson figures that was always rebelling against the church, right? And I just was waiting for my autonomy to become atheist. I was actually like a thought leader of my youth group, and I was so impressive that at 17 years old, I got to do a sermon at my church. I got to make a religious, and this is illegal, but I got to make a religious speech at my high school graduation. Wow because that's how rural Texas does it. (laughs) And uh, I would have considered my political affiliation to be alt-right. And so it it took several years to kind of change. What's that? Because you're not the first person, how'd that change? I mean, you're not the first person to say that. I mean, that's kind of the beauty of it. It's like, I always remind people, nobody's ever too found down any rabbit hole. And eventually, you know, Democrats might get so radicalized that everybody's like, holy shit, like we got to move to the Republican party. Like, but how did you, how did you come from alt-right over to where you are now? How did that, how did that transform? And what would you give credit to as probably the, the most, like the biggest reason? Well, yes, that's, a, that's an excellent clarification you made. It's not that anyone's a lost cause. It's that if you are hearing someone make a statement like the Trump thing, it's a lost cause in that moment. Yeah. <laughs> right. So, I mean, obviously, I believe that everyone can change, and I use myself as anecdotal evidence for that. But I graduated with 49 people, and to my knowledge, I'm the only one that left the state for college. Travel in college, yeah. Um, that's going to be a, I mean, that's a pretty cliche 
And so that's what that's what happens. You know, it's the classic story of you you leave little town and you go to the big city and then you're challenged and you meet people you would have never met. And that's part of it. But I actually would credit most of it to a change in how I value or acquire knowledge. I realized at some point before I actually made a different political or religious conclusion that it was more important to me ultimately to have a reliable methodology for which I was going to use to assess information. And that was the form of philosophical reasoning. And I realized that most people aren't going to think of it this way and they're not going to get the education to do it. So it's not really anyone's fault. It's, it's really our education systems, but people will look at something like a religious book, a religious subset, a group, and they'll, they'll ask themselves, do I like it? <laughs> and if I like it, then it's true as far as I'm concerned and I'll do it and it's worthwhile for its utility. And if I don't, then I just don't care about it. I just reject it. And that's what I always say to Christians is, you know what it's like to be an atheist. Just think about Islam because you don't and you're not concerned with yeah. the potential consequences of non-belief. So it's not a foreign concept. I'm, I'm just one religion further down that road. Mm. I realized that there was no good apologetics. I didn't find any logical arguments that were valid and sound. I didn't find any reason to believe that faith was a more reliable institution than logic. And so what you end up with is just non-belief, right? Because atheism is not a doctrine. It doesn't have a central text. It's just, I don't believe that. That's all it means. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Studying collegiate debates, watching uh, public intellectuals, atheist uh, speakers, and all of that slowly over about, I would say about three or four years of studying it very, very much was what led me to this paradigm. I do have to say, though, that, you know, most of the people I know that have stayed in Minnesota their whole life are now conservative friends of mine that in high school I would never have thought so. And the ones that have left, all progressive. I do think that there is a huge thing for saying, like, of course, of why the Republicans are scared of sending their kids off to college out of state is because, like, teachers are going to get their claws on them and turn them liberal. But the fact is, it's more just travel. Like, if you just travel, I, I really think, like, <laughs> it should be required to, like, that, like, colleges provide out-of-state tuition lower than in-state. Because I think traveling and getting out of your bubble is one of the most beneficial things. Doesn't mean that it will always change your views, and it shouldn't always. It shouldn't be guaranteed, and it shouldn't be guaranteed that it goes left or right. It just, it's it's healthy. It's very healthy for people. It's healthy to travel. It's healthy to sit, see different cultures because you just realize how small you are. You realize how what you know is so minuscule. You know, that's why I love. Even just sounds super stupid, but look, like looking up at the stars sometimes at night and just being like, God, we're tiny. God, my problems are so small. God, no one will remember this. <laughs> no one will remember Jeff Bezos in 100,000 years. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's just, you're just, you're so tiny. You're so tiny. So what, what is it that you can do with your life? And like, I always tell people on my gravestone, all I want is just to say, you tried. Whatever it was, you just tried. And I hope that I leave positively, you know, positively impacting 
certain people to where they can remember for a short time, but I am not under any, like, like when you think of Alexander the Great or Genghis Khan or some of these people that probably will have history named for, for a long time, but even their time will end. Because of that, you know, you kind of have to put things in priority. And But I do think, like, the only way to get to that point is travel. It's just to get out because if you don't know there's anything else out there, it's kind of like Plato's cave, you know? Like if nothing, you'll live in the cave forever. If one person doesn't step out and bring back the information and then you have to bring the other people out or else what usually happens is you go back in and they just kill you, right? <laughs> like I still get made fun of in Minnesota when I hang out with some of my more conservative friends. Like this guy from California, go get back and eat your avocado toast, you know? Um, which is rude, but that's how they view it. So I think travel's an important thing. Yeah, and uh, the the cave thought experiment is great. And I really love uh, Voltaire sort of building upon it when he said that if you can be convinced of an absurdity, you can commit an atrocity. Yeah. And I, yeah. I, I, mean, I think that's mostly what we're left with, with the religious paradigm. So I'm always yeah. interested in, in hearing what people think about that and then uh, to what degree they think it's really playing a role because I, I'm convinced that it's very important, even if it's not a part of people's daily consciousness no you convince me you convince me man your argument has convinced me that it's, it's actually fundamental i mean that's what i always look for in arguments is like when people are like well you know put more police to stop the rioters and looters but i'm like what's what's starting that like what causes the code like let's go to the cause and let's go to incentive structures and let's figure out let's go let's dive let's keep asking why let's ask the seven whys and keep going down until we finally get to where we can't ask why anymore and then that's usually the cause of what this is. And I think that you've done a great job kind of laying out the debate that American religion has been in the foundation of our government for so long that the idea of separation of church and state just isn't even real. Yeah, I haven't uh, heard the seven whys, but I, I think I understand immediately what that what that means. And I guess my thesis would just basically be that the seventh why is always because God said so. And you're not really allowed to go beyond it. And you're not really able to in some sense, because that's just what people accept. Yeah, no, I think, I think that for certain people that is, but I think you've stepped out beyond that, you know, like, why is it, you, you, the, the why's are kind of like a, a guy who, uh, I forgot his name, it's a marketing thing where you just, it's trying to kind of find your brand values and message, you know? but it tends to lead you down a, a rabbit hole of like, where is, what are your true values or what is the true cause of this? Not just the symptoms and not just accounting the symptoms. And I think that you probably just do this naturally. And that's probably why you came to this conclusion of, um, you know, this, this religion has just it opened my eyes up. So I appreciate you for that. Thank you. Oh, no, thank you for coming on. And I want to close by asking you, what do you hope to see in these final few months, closing the chapter on 2020, perhaps one of America's craziest years? Oh, you know, I really hope to see, I, I, I know, I, I really hope to see a free and fair election. I really hope to see Democrats start to, and, and people voting in the election start to calm down a little bit about it and try to be more honest that this is gonna, this election is gonna take time. It's not gonna be announced that night. Don't play into that. And to see more people kind of leveling, like let's be a little bit more level-headed about this because the more that we're kind of hype this up and even if, you know, uh, Joe Biden says something or Trump says something like being much more level-headed on how we treat each other. But if I'm actually 
being honest about it, I think that this is gonna end in some very um some people dying and some bad stuff. Um, even if Joe Biden wins by a lot, because uh, the, the the electoral system. It's funny because I did a paper in my class for high school. I got an F on it about the electoral college and its effects on the economy. And my teacher said it had no effects in the electoral college. It's not something that matters. And my argument was that it's huge. It matters a ton. It was invented because they were worried about dyslexic people, or like uh, people who couldn't read voting, um, which now we don't really need. But I think that my hope for 2020 is that we come out of this and we, we do have, you know, I don't want to make it political, but I do hope that, it, that Joe Biden is president and I hope we can start in some way healing. And I really hope that we get a younger Congress and Senate in and that we can start analyzing Facebook and YouTube and all these correctly, you know, like the answer isn't necessarily like making it so like what Bill Barr is trying to do, where it's like the Earn It Act, where he's trying to make sure that there is no encryption, that basically the US government can get into any device, kind of like China, and to also make it so you can sue Twitter if somebody posts something on there that you disagree with, which I think would only just cause people to sue. Funny thing is they want this, but like that would just be a ton of people suing Twitter um, over the content, which would mean that they'd only censor more, right? Because they wouldn't want to get sued, but they'd just do more censorship. So it doesn't make any sense. But I really hope that we have a discussion about social media and that we start actually putting in honest government policies that can like treat each one the same. Because the fact that they are all running basically on their own and making decisions on their own, I think is dangerous, right? I think that it has to be a census agreed upon by the people and for the people when it comes to social media, because we just have ignored it for too long and let them kind of try to figure it out on their own, which sometimes they get it right, sometimes they get it wrong, but it shouldn't be their responsibility. You know, it's putting too much faith in capitalism, in my opinion. So I hope we, I hope we come out with, of 2020 with a Democratic Senate, Democratic uh, presidency and, and Congress. And I hope that we spend the next year continuing to protest. I hope that Bernie Sanders supporters, I hope that the, the left that want universal healthcare and want to, to see these things actually protest during a time when we can make these things happen. Because you can't, they can't happen now. None of these things are going to lead anywhere right now because we can't do anything. But we should keep up the fight. And I hope that, you know, this is a point when America kind of makes the turn back, at least in general, towards leading the world and showing people that, like, we value democracy and we value each other as citizens and we, we're in it together kind of thing. I think we, we have to do something there. But that's my main hope. It's pretty political, but... You know, everything else, like I said, in my life is going okay, which is weird. So there's not much there. It's really just culturally and politically. Well, I couldn't agree more, Zach. Uh, where can people find you? Uh, so you can find me on LinkedIn uh, to Zach Harding, just LinkedIn.com. Zach Harding. You can also find me on Twitter, Zach, Z-A-C-L Harding. And you can find me on Facebook. Same, same thing, basically, just Zach Harding. So Search for me anywhere. I'm on there all the time. Um, and yeah, that's basically it. I'd love to hear back from people. And I can't wait to hear all these. Pal, I think what you're doing is pretty cool. And I think talking to everyday people is going to bring you a lot of joy, especially looking back on this maybe five years from now, 10 years.
Well, I appreciate that, Zach, and I appreciate your time. I do hope that we do get some more people on and we get that 10 to 20 mark that I really am hoping to record. I hope that we get episodes as good as this one. <laughs> well, it's been a pleasure talking with you, dude. It really has. Uh, you've opened my eyes to a bunch of different things. So until next time, and, and let me know. So make sure to keep me updated on all this stuff. I want to listen to the rest of the, the um, uh, attendees. Absolutely, will do. Well, thanks for coming on, Zach, and I will talk to you soon. Okay, Tom. See ya. Well, ladies and gentlemen, thanks again for listening to A Person in 2020. I'd like to thank Zach again for coming on, and I'd also like to make a special shout-out because I realized that I shouted out this person on Facebook, but not everyone who will be listening to this has my Facebook. So I have to give out a special thanks to Anthony Alfaro for lending me the recording equipment and making this show sound way better than it would have if I had recorded it through the paper towel roll and a string that I was intending to record it on. And also for his expertise, he'll be helping edit some of the shows and giving me advice about audio mixing and things like that. So thanks again to Anthony Alfaro, and I hope you listen to the next show.